0: So we have uh, Daniel Shapiro on with us. He is the founder of 4Laps. Dan, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Excellent. You're out in New York? I am. Yeah. Snowing. Yeah, we get hit on the East Coast as well. Brock never sees snow anymore, just when he uh, heads back (laughs) to the East.
1: I think it's going to be like 85 degrees here today. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Lucky you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't mind the snow. So, Dan, you have an interesting story on how you started 4 Laps and uh, but I guess what what would be where you really started? Like, where'd you grow up, and kind of what what started you on this path towards uh, building your own company?
2: Yeah, sure. So, I'm from St. Louis. I born and raised, um, went to college there as well. And as a kid, I was always very interested in consumer behavior and clothing, cars, consumer electronics, all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, in my family and amongst friends, I was always the go-to person. When someone wanted to buy something, I would research it and come back to them with recommendations, but very much always interested in, in consumer behavior and, and why someone bought one brand over another. So I so I graduated from college in, in a really great job market and I went to work for a consulting firm um, my first year out of college and wasn't a very good consultant and had a, had a pretty rough year left at the end of the year. And I moved to Washington, DC without a job and temped for a while and then got a job with the startup. And about six months after I started working for the startup, they lost their funding and laid off almost everyone. So that was kind of uh, that was in
1: 1999.
2: And I, I, uh, started interviewing and i got a job with a great startup in silicon valley i worked for them for for a little over a year and then they they went through they went through some challenges and laid off some people
0: and uh and i was unemployed for like i don't know seven months living in san francisco and um into a great job market right before the bubble and then you went to silicon valley for the bubble Yes, basically.
2: Yeah. And you know, I I went, I went to work for uh, this really great startup called Elance. It's like an eBay for services. It was funded by Kleiner Perkins. I worked around some really great people and they went through several rounds of layoffs and then I, I I got laid off and I, you know, I spent some time trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I thought I wanted to do software sales. So I ended up getting a job with another startup that, that company did a ton of work for uh, retailers. And so I was calling, Retailers all the time to talk to them about our software. And I realized that I really was interested in retail. And what's interesting is that I worked in college, I worked at Banana Republic. And I loved selling, and I loved the clothing, and I loved seeing what was new and what was selling. and um, But I didn't realize that it could be a career. So I'm at this startup, um, this startup that does a lot of work for retailers, and I realized that. I want to start my own apparel company. And I called up a very close family friend whose name was Stanley Tanger, who started Tanger Factory Outlets, and he said, no, 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 you're not going to start your own company. You're going to go work for someone else and get some experience. And he goes, you live in San Francisco, you should go work for The Gap. And so that's what I did. And in 2003, I went to work for The Gap, and I started um, an Old Navy outlet in allocation, um, knowing that I wanted to get into merchandising. I spent about a year and a half in allocation, and then I got a job working for Gap Brand as an assistant merchant working in denim.
0: In so, allocation, you're mainly yeah. just choosing like how many units go to a store, right? How many jeans go to this store? Uh, and XYZ. Yeah. So, That's where you started. Yeah. Right?
2: That's where I, Where I started is basically we worked in these green screens, these very old systems, and we allocated inventory to the stores, and I had adult accessories, which was like seven different departments, tons and tons of SKUs, and um, I remember one Christmas, I w- it was obviously a super busy time, and we had to punch in all the numbers for the style numbers into this, com- into this computer system, and I was so tired at the end of the day. I had typed in so many different numbers, that I went to call a friend and I typed a style number into the phone. <laughs> um, and you know, I mean it was it was it was a, it was actually a, a great learning being in allocation because you got to work with a lot of different functions. So I, I really got to I got a better sense of what I wanted. But I knew that I wanted to be more product focused and more on the on the product side of things. So I did a bunch of networking within the company and had a lot of encouragement from a lot of people. And I ended up getting a job in merchandising, working for Gap Brand um, in denim. And so I worked in men's denim for a couple of years. And then an opportunity came up in Old Navy to do kids. Um, And so I went over to Old Navy and I I did um, pants, shorts, shirts and outerwear in Old Navy kids. And, you know, it's interesting. It's the same company, but it's run all the different uh, divisions are run very differently. And Old Navy was just a very exciting, exciting place to be.
1: What were you doing uh, when you say you know, you're working on pants and shorts and, for kids? What, what were you doing? Were you like yeah. designing or sourcing or what?
2: Yeah. So merchant merchants at vertical retailers, you're basically managing the business. So you're you're doing a bunch of different things. You're working with the design team and giving them a strategy, a seasonal strategy. So letting them know for whatever season you're working on, you know this is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is what we should develop into, and this is, you know, this is what our customer doesn't want. You're working with the planning team to figure out how much inventory you need to buy in each one of these styles. You're working with the production team to make sure things get executed. So, we would go to Hong Kong, we went on, you know, trips to, to, to do costing with the production team. You're re- working with the marketing team on placement and signage. So, you're kind of general manager of a particular business and you're working with all of these different teams and functions to help execute the business and you know and make mu- as much money for the company as possible Okay. so Thanks. so i did boys for a couple of years and then I, I had the opportunity to move to um men's denim pants and shorts and you know i inherited a business that was Really, really challenging. It was, you know, it was just challenging on on a, a number of levels. So, um, I really worked with the design team. They had just kind of created this whole new line of denim, and when I saw it, it had, it was already, you know, done. And I saw it and I thought, oh no, this is not going to be good. Um, like, it's not going to sell. And and I I kind of voiced that concern, and everyone was like, well, it's done. So we're just going to have to see what happens. And it lo and behold it hit and it was it was really bad so we had to kind of you know rework things and you know when you're working in a big company with a lot of stores it takes a while so if things don't aren't good you have to kind of it, it takes you a while to kind of get out of that inventory and get into the right stuff so I, w- I, I you know I was there and I, I worked on that and at that point I've been at the company for eight and a half years and I thought you know there's probably an, another way of looking at, at the business and I know one way and that's the gap way. And you know, a lot of the best merchants in the business came out of the gap. But I um, knew a bunch of people that were going to American Eagle and um, I interviewed there and I, I, I left Old Navy and San Francisco in 2009 and went to work for American Eagle. I moved to Pittsburgh, it was a, it was a huge life change for me and it was a hard environment American Eagle was very very product focused and the pace was a lot quicker than what I was used to and there's a lot of innovation going on there and creativity and so you know the first year was was tough um, I worked in men's I, I ran the pants and shorts businesses which were um, actually the pants business wasn't wasn't a big business but shorts was a huge business for the company and you know while I was there I started to realize well you know, we sell denim all year round, but we don't, we don't have, we don't sell pants. We we have them for six months. And I worked with my team and we, we developed a, a year round pant strategy and we, we tripled the business in like two years. You know, at that point I had, I'd only worked in men's and, and, and boys and women's was one of those areas that I was always afraid to work in because it, it seemed so foreign to me. But the opportunity came up to work in uh, women's denim. And so I moved to the women's denim at, at American Eagle.
0: I just wanted to get back you, on pants. You're saying uh, like Chino's strategy, like a year round uh, taking the yeah. shorts and expanding upon not just denim.
2: Yes. Yeah, so American Eagle had one pant and they used to bring it in for six months and then they would get rid of it. And they would bring they would do that every year. And the productivity of that pant was unbelievable. I mean it sold a ton and it was just two two colors of one pant. Well we we're selling all this denim and all these different fits and washes and you know I knew that, that the customer they had to be going somewhere for their pants and they were they were leaving us but they were buying denim from us. So you know we started running some tests. We tested some expanded sizes which 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 was really helpful. Um, because we were selling them in denim, so I knew that customer, you know, wanted pants as well. But then we started testing fits and um, different colors,
0: and you know, we were able to triple the business in like two, two years. So what takes you? Um, from, uh, what takes you from pants? And you said women's, and then I mean, what what makes you think I need to to start making uh, exercise clothing? <laughs> yeah. So
2: you know, when I was living in Pittsburgh, I got um, I was always you know not as a kid as a kid I wasn't super active actually my parents used to have to force me to play sports Um, but as an adult I got more and more into working out and when I lived in Pittsburgh I was working out all the time um, with the trainer and doing different athletic activities and I always kind of I was always disappointed in in the styling of the athletic apparel that I found in the marketplace a lot of like very over-designed products with seams running in every direction, neon and logos all
0: over everything. So
2: I spent a lot of time thinking about it and I thought I really would like to start my own athletic apparel company. You know, I thought a lot about it, I did some research and then things were going really well in American Eagle and so you know, I got this promotion and went, in, went into women's and after I'd been there for about four years, and the opportunity to go back to the gap in New York came up. Um, I got this great job and so I took the opportunity. It turned out to be a really challenging year for me and it just was not a good fit. And I left at the end of the year and I, you know, I was was not in a great place and I I I thought, you know, I'm gonna look for another job, but maybe let's explore this idea of doing an athletic apparel company. So I was kind of simultaneously, you know, uh, looking at two different options and a good friend of mine, you know, he, he, I was talking to him about it and he called me up and we were talking and he said, you know, you've always wanted to start your own company. He's like, you can always get another job. But I had, I had gotten an offer from a great company and he said, if you take the the offer, you're not going to ever start this company. And so I made the decision that I was going to start the company. And in between ending at the Gap and starting the company, I had gone on a, a month-long trip to Australia and New Zealand, which was really helpful in helping me kind of realize what I, what I had wanted to do. Um, and I came back and I did interview, like I said, but I, I, I made the choice to, to start
0: four laps. So in like July of 2014, I started working on it full-time. Do you think there was something that crystallized that on the Australia
1: trip?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that travel for me, I've been to 63 countries and travel for me has always been something that's very eye opening. And I think that the the challenging experience of the Gap combined with like some challenging things that were going on in my personal life. I think I kind of came to the conclusion that it was time to stop doing what I thought I should be doing and start doing what I really wanted to do. So. That that trip kind of helped me solidify that, and you know, I came back and I did interview, but I was really leaning towards doing my own thing. And you know, after speaking to my dad and some friends, I just decided that the time was right to to start the company.
0: Well, then uh, what's your what's your first step? Are you are you trying to figure out logos or ground
1: zero?
2: Yeah, I mean. Listen. In the beginning, it's a lot of spinning. So you you kind of make lists of what you of what needs to be done. So I knew I needed to create a brand name and a brand identity. I knew I needed to create designs and source fabrics. I knew I needed to find someone to help me manufacture. I knew I needed I was going to need a PR firm. So you start networking and you start working on it. And in the beginning, it's slow because you don't you know I didn't have I'm not a designer so. I didn't have, I I, I I had an idea, a vision for the brand, but I needed someone to help me bring that vision to life. So I started networking, looking for designers. Then I then I knew I needed to, you know, create a logo and a brand identity. So again, more networking, talking to different people, and you know, I finally found a designer, and she's, she was really great, and we worked really well together, and we, I I told her what my vision was, and Kind of help bring that to life, and it was a really collaborative process. I worked with this incredible uh, creative agency that helped me, you know, come up with the name and, um, you know, create the the brand identity. And then, you know, once we had the designs, I was having a really hard time finding someone to to make it. And you know, I had a lot of connections in retail and reached out to a lot of people, but a lot of these factories, they don't want to work with someone who's doing small quantities. So, you know, I had a really hard time, and through, through some networking, I found a production consultant, and I met with her a couple times. And then I thought, you know, I want to see if I can try and do this myself. So I went to L.A. and met with a bunch of factories, and, and I found that it was really hard. Some of the stuff that I was making was going to be really challenging to make in the U.S. for costing. So I, I came back to New York and I asked to meet with this production consultant again. And she said, you know, you've met with me twice. You've called my references. If you want to meet with me again, I'm going to charge you for the time. And I thought, oh, that just doesn't sit well with me. But I met with her again. I, I signed a contract with her and we started working on trying to get this product produced.
1: Where did you go first to get it produced? So was it was working with her... Kind of assuming that you would go overseas, or were you still focused on yeah made in the U.S.
0: She, we
2: basically decided that it was going to have to be overseas based on my cost targets, and you know she had come highly recommended and and said she had all these connections to people and she could figure it out, so we started working together and there were things that were going wrong that I was just I just it didn't make sense to me like we're we're making comments on things and the samples are coming back and you know we're having fittings and the fittings are really expensive because you have a fit model and a fit technician. Well, if we're coming back with these fittings and things just aren't right and they're not getting resolved. I, I remember the first time I got the running shorts in, we, we hadn't sourced a liner for them yet and they came in with a liner that was a woven material that had no give. So we had to cut them out of the garments to get them on the, the, the fit model. And I said to her, I said, "Are you sure they've made athletic apparel before?" Yes, they're they're experts in athletic apparel. They've totally made athletic apparel. And I thought, well, if they made athletic apparel, why why are they sending a running short with a woven liner and and a drawstring that looks like something you'd find on a pajama? <laughs> and you know, she assured me. Well, we kept going, and and it was round after round, and things weren't getting better. And she was blaming my designer and my technician and all these different people. And it finally was like five months in and I called her up and I was talking to her and she said, you don't trust me. And I said, I, I didn't say anything, but I thought, I, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. <laughs> so I, I asked her if we needed to go to this factory. Now she had never been to this factory that she placed me in. And, and one of the things that is kind of 101 when it comes to production, is you always place people in factories that you have relationships with that you know. And she said, no, but you know they come highly recommended. And I thought, you know what, I need to go to this factory. So I called her up and I said, have you been? And she said, no, I haven't been. And I said, well, do we need to go? No, we don't need to go. And I said, well, I'm going. And so I got on a plane, I went over there, and basically, there were just all kinds of signs that, that it wasn't right. The first meeting I had with the owner of the factory and his sister, they told me that they specialize in button-down shirts. And did I know anyone that needed button-down shirts? And I thought, this is weird. I mean, I'm making athletic apparel. Why are they talking about button-down shirts? Where,
1: <laughs> well, where was it? If if you can if you can tell.
2: Yeah, sure. Tell us. The factory was um this the factory was five hours outside of Shanghai, so three hour. A three hour train ride and a two hour car ride. Which, which, it's a long, it was a long way from Shanghai. Now, we were meeting in Shanghai at the time because they had an office there. But, we, we, I finally got to the factory and there's two things to look at when you get to a factory. What are they making and what have they made? And they had pajamas on the line. So they were making pajamas, which is one of the more simple woven garments you can make. And their showroom was filled with things not resembling athletic apparel at all. I had a photo shoot a couple weeks later, so I had to leave with correct samples. So we worked with them, and we got samples, and I came back. I ended the relationship with the production person. I had the photo shoot, and I tried to salvage the order because the factory was sitting on dyed fabric. You know, they had all my trims and everything. And so I kept working with them on the fit, and they just were ignoring all the comments. And I finally had to walk away. And they said, "We'll let you transfer your your raw materials to a new factory." And they wanted some additional money, and it was all complicated. And I found a new factory while I was over there that made athletic apparel. Well, they kept they they asked for us to. Uh, use a third party to transfer the raw materials. And my agent said, well, I've never heard of anyone doing that. Something must be weird. And a day before the transfer was supposed to happen, we had found out that they cut all of my patterns, all of my fabric into patterns I hadn't approved. And so after a year of blood, sweat, and tears, all these problems, we had to, I had to start from scratch and I lost everything. Wow. And I basically had to start over with a new factory. So we had to go through everything again. All the trim approvals, all the color approvals, all the rounds of fits. And granted, when you do things a second time, you, you, you know, you're smarter. But I was devastated and it set
0: me back a year now you're at like summer of 2015 correct wow
2: that was the i went over there in the summer and but it was months that went by of back and forth and can we salvage this and can we not and the factory wasn't the the, the woman who was working at the factory who was the sister of the owner was 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 she was crazy and she wasn't responding weeks would go by where she wouldn't respond and then she would respond with something that was crazy. I mean, it was just, and it was, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting, I'm sitting in New York while all this is going on. And it's just, it's maddening when you can't control a situation. It just is maddening. Um, and you know, ultimately the inevitable happened. I lost everything and I had to start, start over.
1: So, in addition to this being extremely time-consuming, it sounds very, very expensive too. So, I mean, how how did you how did you manage that? Was this like the kind of thing where you're pouring your life savings into it, or did you do like a fundraising round, or how are you funding all
2: yeah. Of this? Yeah. So, so I was living off of my savings, which you know I I lived I worked for American Eagle and I saved a lot of money living in Pittsburgh, and you know that afforded me you know money to live off of, and then. My dad, who is an entrepreneur as well, was funding the company and he works in a business that's very cyclical and he's been through a lot of ups and downs and he's an incredible resource in terms of support and perspective and so, you know, we we lost a big chunk of money and, I mean, he could have been furious with me and he wasn't. He's like, look, this, these things happen and, you know, you got to move this thing forward. And, you know, thank goodness, because if, if, if he had said no, then that would have been the end of it. Yeah. Now, maybe I would have found a way to, you know, keep it going and fund it, fund it another way. But, you know, he's, he's, he's been an incredible support and he's, he, you know, we have a really good relationship and, and he understands how business works and that, you know, bad things happen.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So so when did things start to turn around, I guess?
2: So basically, um in December of twenty fifteen, I kinda got myself back into I was kinda depressed after this whole thing happened and I, I got myself into a better state and uh, I started working on things again and we redid everything and I flew over to this factory a second time and we worked with them and um you know things were much much more smooth because this factory they 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 had made product like this before, and ultimately you can't work with a factory that has never made product that you're making. It's just I mean you can but you're gonna end up with really bad product and you you only have one chance to get it you have more than one chance but you want to get you want to come to market with something you're proud of and mm-hmm. that that product. If I, had, if I had allowed that factory to make it, it would have been a mess. It would have been an absolute mess. So, you know, we, we got it. We got it going. And, um, you know, I, I, we, had, we got it all together. And I ended, shipped in July, and I launched in August of 2016. So it was, it was a year, basically a year after I had wanted to launch.
0: Hmm. So you're able to take everything you learned uh with the first one uh as far as your your fits your materials and just kind of uh make this the second round a, a much smoother. Because cause it sounds like things went pretty quick, right? You said you really started to get back on the groove in December of fifteen and then you were out in public by the summer of sixteen. So I mean that's that sounds a yeah. lot smoother than uh than the original time.
2: Yeah, I mean that that it was it's a lot quicker because you already had, you know, I had some samples to show. Them, so, like, we could kind of work a little bit off of those. Um, although the patterns were all messed up and, you know, the, the old factory kept the pattern. So I wasn't able to start with those. I had, and I had to start from scratch. But anytime you do something the second time, it, it, it becomes
0: a lot easier. Even back before you, you were it was when you were at the startup before you went to the gap. I think it was 03. Like, what do you think would have happened if you had tried to do this? before going through the gap and through american eagle
2: i mean i think that i just i wouldn't have known what to do um and also i had thought all along i would start a denim brand well you know the world has a lot of denim brands so if i had done it in 03 i probably would have started a jeans company which i mean i didn't have any experience so the knowledge that i gained in the 10 over 10 years that I worked in corporate retail definitely helped.
0: Yeah. So you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have changed much from that perspective.
2: No, I think, so I think that the knowledge, you know, the knowledge when I was in my early mid twenties to when I was in my late thirties, obviously I learned so much in that time about me and who, and what I wanted and who I was and all those things. So, you know, I think it, And then and then just the experience of of working for another company and learning what things should look like, like with this consultant, when I started seeing things that I just that just didn't make sense. Like, I might not have known that if I hadn't had been in factories all over the world and had all these connections in in retail.
0: Yeah, I'd have no idea what to do if I landed in, in Shanghai to try and go build some clothes. So definitely learnings there. Uh, so how have things gone since the launch? I mean, how? I mean, it's. it's I guess you're at, uh, like eight eight month mark now.
2: Yeah. So things uh things started off good and we had really good sales the first month and then and then things dropped off and we had a couple of slow months. Um, but you know, in the beginning you're trying a lot of different things and so I worked with a publicist and I interviewed tons and tons of publicists and. I found a really great publicist who understood my brand and understands me. And your relationship with your publicist is really, really important. And a lot of people think it's a waste of money, but ultimately when you're a new brand and no one's ever heard of you, you need to get press and you need, you need to have endorsement from editors because editors in magazines have a lot of clout. They're kind of the arbiters of what is cool. And you need you can't just be running around um, marketing yourself. It's it's when you have the endorsement of someone else, it, it goes a long way. So you know she's working on getting me into some publications, and you know it takes time because it's a brand that no one's ever heard of. Now I had a good background in terms of having worked in the industry, and you know the product looks great, but again, you know it's a lot of hard work. So. I have a publicist that's working on helping me get press. I started working with a digital agency on uh, search engine marketing and search engine optimization. And, you know, we were having very little luck with paid search because ultimately if someone's going to do a search, we're not going to be able to bid against one of the big athletic apparel companies. So that wasn't working so well. I worked on – we worked on – Marketing through email. so we're trying, we're trying all of that. So we're trying a bunch of different things, and and nothing's working particularly well. But I'm starting to get press, and I'm getting people are writing about me, and then through people writing about me, other people are hearing about me, and we're sending out um, we're sending out product to tastemakers and people in the in the athletic space, and we're um, we're just trying a bunch of different things. And I think, you know, one of the big, big things that happened was that um, GQ is, is, a, is a magazine that I've read forever, and I really feel like they're the gold standard. Um, you know, they're one of the gold standards when it comes to men's fashion, and if not the gold standard. And uh, so I really had wanted to show them my product. So we show them my product. Um, before we launched and um, my publicist was following up with them and and in December you know in in, uh, November they pulled some stuff for a photo shoot which is great Um, and in December you know they asked for a credit check which is good and but ultimately you never know something's gonna get into a magazine until it goes to print and lo and behold uh, they ran a story um, in January in the January edition and uh, the story was about this guy named Pietro Boselli who's a, who's a, was a math professor who's now a model. He has a PhD in engineering, but he's, he's unbelievably fit. And so the story was about him. And the last page of the story was a full page with just him wearing my shirt and, uh, and a, and a quote saying that Four Laps was, was their new favorite brand. And, literally the day it came out the orders just started growing. You know, since then things have been things have been definitely moving forward. I mean, it's it's still a struggle all the time and it's very hard. But I think you have to have forward momentum and you know we have forward momentum. We have we're getting good feedback from the customers. They like the product. You know, the GQ article has opened up a lot of doors because they they hold a lot of weight. And people listen to them. so you know people who read the magazine listen to them, and you know uh, people in the industry listen to them.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Hey you uh, I, I was just looking through your inventory and um, your start before you're ready tagline really hits home after hearing your story.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's it's part of the brand um, and you know, basically, Obviously, the brand is 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 a personal journey, um, but I, it's that tagline resonates with a lot of people, and you know if you wait for the perfect moment to do something, it will not present itself. You have to take the initiative
1: Can, like what advice would you give to people, especially people who don't have a background in the fashion industry, which I think a lot of people these days who want to start something, um, you know maybe a men's accessories company or just something like that, and who don't have any experience you know it seems like it is doable these days the barrier of entry is is much lower than it used to be but what would you tell people who want to create something um, but who don't have much experience and you know who might have a little bit of money but not a ton of money um, what advice would you give
2: I mean I think you have to i think you have to do what you're good at and I think you need to hire people to do what you're not good at and so I think you need to know what your strengths are and know what your opportunities are. And I think if you're going to do a startup, you have to love the everyday challenge of getting up and solving problems. And, and, and you're going to hit roadblocks and it's, it's how, how much perseverance do you have? How many times can you get knocked down and get back up? Now it's not all bad, but ultimately it's hard. And so you just have to be prepared that It's just not easy, and ultimately, you know, being persistent is definitely – it definitely pays off. I mean, I could have quit after that first round. was a disaster. But I believed in what I was doing, and, you know, I had the support of my dad and other people in my life. And ultimately, like, you just have to kind of keep going.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. I would love to talk more offline or just just another time about about this stuff. And from the clothing manufacturing to the the marketing side of things, uh, it's just all very, very fascinating. So yeah, I'm really, yeah. really impressed with what you've done so far.
0: Yeah, we'll be back as you uh, as you continue to grow here. <laughs> I, I was reading, it and I things too, you were saying, uh, you know, additional products. I mean, you've got some really good, you know, your bolt short and some of the other stuff right out of the gate. And I know you're working on some some future stuff. I don't know if you're if you're ready to announce.
2: Yeah, no. So um, I'm working on a bunch of new things. Um, I'm working on some iterations of what I currently have. I'm working on some products that are that are natural fibers. I'm really into the idea of using more natural fibers because they actually can be better than the synthetics. It's, it's better for the environment. And it's also, it's just better all around and, you know, I'm having some conversations over the next couple weeks that I think will lead to some, some, some good things. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to offer a million things. I want to offer a curated assortment of things that people really need. And so I want to keep it tight. But I definitely think there's opportunity to, to offer some additional products.
0: Amazing. Well, this, is, uh, this has been fascinating to me, and I would definitely like to let people know how you're doing as you, as you continue to grow here. I think this might be our, our longest interview so far, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely fascinating. So uh, people can check you out at 4 and uh, they, can, they can Google your name and, and find you out there, Daniel Shapiro, uh, St. Louis native. Any, any uh, parting words as we sign off here?
2: <laughs> no, I think we've covered it, but uh, we'll definitely we'll
0: definitely keep in touch. Absolutely. Well, well thanks for getting on here, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, okay. Dan.
0: Thank you for listening to Buttoned Up, a podcast project by Brock McGoth of The Modest Man and John Shanahan of The Cavalier, and we will see you next week.